Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Thursday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, and today we have a great guest returning to the program. Last time we talked about how do you ask phenomenal questions today? We're going to be talking about the, the secrets that make the DNA that is that of a top salesperson. Tim Walkle, welcome back to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Tim. Thank you so much for returning to the program. And I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation because we were talking beforehand and we were kind of road mapping the conversation and you you spun a phrase and I, I wrote it down and I said, there you go, Tim. There's the uh, title for the episode, the DNA that makes a top sales pro. And and that right there is going to be the focus of today's episode because I reached out to my Patreon. I've been reaching out to the subscribers, reaching out to the morning sales huddle email subscribers, and they all want to know from a sales pro what it takes to be a sales pro. And uh, I think having you back in the program to dig through that. Now, obviously, we talked about one aspect, and that was the art of asking great questions. So folks, Go back, check out that episode last time, and uh, you can also get to uh, learn Tim's uh, phenomenal chapter over in Brandon Bernanson's book, Sales Secrets, which is very similar in, in uh, the, the theme. But today, Tim, yes, we're going to talk about that, the DNA of a top sales pro, but since you were last in the show, how are you and what's been going on in the world of Tim Wackel? You know, life is good. Thank you so much for asking. I'm I am very excited to uh, to share that you know the world is seems to be um, moving through one crisis and unfortunately into another. But um, it, it's good. I'm I'm back on the road again, so I am now working with sales teams live. And um, you know, we've had two years of doing virtual programs, and clients that did virtual programs thought they were pretty good because they didn't know any different. And now we're doing live programs and they're like, oh my gosh, oh, it makes this a difference. is so much, it's so much better. Um, and it is. So I'm, I'm excited to get really busy again, start getting back on airplanes. I actually missed the smell of jet fuel. I didn't realize that, but it's good to be back. <laughs> An expression I bet like 90% of the audience has probably never heard said out loud. So congratulations there, Tim. But no, um, that's great to hear that. Yeah. That being in person, you, you can't, you can't really put it into words. There's just that feeling. I was just up in Wisconsin here back a, a few weeks ago speaking at, it was the Young Guns Winter Summit, and we had a bunch of small business owners and entrepreneurs up there, and I was talking about the importance of focusing not just on um, big tech censorship, but also uh, how you can use uh, technology to help protect your business. And in uh, in that 
conversations or in the conversations I was having in the environment up there, you could feel the energy and it was so yeah. intoxicating to see. So, so Tim, yeah, I, I completely empathize 100% there. Um, it, it definitely is exciting to get back in person, but let's turn the conversation towards the topic of conversation today. And that is towards what makes a great sales professional. So starting things off here, I want to first and foremost, Dig into number one, uh, your experience. Now, we talked in the past uh, when you were last in the program, um, your experience in, in training and coaching, but we didn't really dig too much into your history of selling. And I would love for if you could start off because now I'm going to maybe embarrass you a little bit here and I do apologize in advance, but in my research, I was going through and I found this one uh, recommendation on your profile and I have to read this. It's from a gentleman named Todd. Tim is a fantastic sales manager, mentor, and leader. Quite simply, he is a unique and truly exceptional sales trainer. With Tim, you not only learn critical sales skills, but you also never forget what you learn. Naturally, he expects results, but he equips you with the tools to deliver them. Sales strategy, processes, techniques, tips, etc. When you experience Tim, you are not just motivated, you take action. And I think... When I read that original recommendation, and then we talked about the DNA of what makes a, a sales pro, I don't know, I'm hearing a couple of uh, maybe some themes that are going to be echoing back and forth here, Tim. So let's dig back into, first and foremost, your history as a sales pro, and uh, talk about, yes, your experience going out and uh, yeah, making some sales. So I am, uh, Brian, what I would call an accidental salesperson. Uh, my undergrad is in electrical engineering, and um, at the time I graduated from the University of Nebraska, um, engineering jobs were uh, were abundant. Uh, we were in the middle of a Cold War. Ronald Reagan was in office, and as an electrical engineer, if you could fog a mirror, you could find work just about any place because all of the big defense contractors um, were really gearing up. Uh, you know, weapon systems, defense systems, radar systems, communication systems. And so, um, you know, I had a lot of different opportunities put before me. Um, and then one day I signed up for this on-campus interview for HP, Hewlett Packard. And I thought, okay, you know, these are the guys that do calculators, you know, just for grins and giggles. I'll go through an interview because I thought every interview, you just get better at interviewing. Well, long story short, um, the gentleman uh, who interviewed me that day, and I still, still remember his name, um, we got about halfway through the interview. Uh, and, you know, he was like, listen, I, I, I think you'd probably be an okay engineer, you know, but I feel like you might have more of a, uh, more of a natural bent to being like a technical sales professional. Is, is that something you'd be interested in? And, and early on, Brian, I was like, no, I, I really don't want to do that. Right. I, I just spent five years busting my hump trying to get an engineering degree. And I'm not going to call mom and dad back on the farm and say, guess what? I'm going to be a salesman, right? Because no mother looks into the crib of her young son and says, oh, I hope he grows up to be a salesman. So I was, I really resisted this idea, but the, uh, the folks at HP were uh, very persistent and very kind and kind of helped me understand what that career path could look like. So um, I, I was not a natural salesperson, Brian. I, I, I got into the field doing sales. And it, it probably took me 18 months to be comfortable calling myself a salesman. I mean, I called myself, you know, an account manager, a field engineer, you know, uh, a, 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 an application specialist. I would come up with just about any phrase to describe 
what I did, but I would avoid using the word sales like the plague because, you know, there are a lot of people out there that have gone before us and they're still out there today that make selling um, less than a noble profession. To say the least, to say the least, I uh, just did an article um, for my morning sales huddle and it was it was literally titled, Why Do So Many People Hate Salesmen? And the answer is because there are so many other bad salespeople out there that give us a bad name. And I use yeah. the uh, the analogy of the used car salesman slapping the car and saying, this one still's got it where it counts. It's like, yeah. okay, uh, that, yeah. that doesn't really help anybody make any real decision and make it feel comfortable too. And that's partly what I think we forget sometimes in the sales profession is that we're not selling something. And this is actually what Victor Antonio was uh, mentioning. He was on the show last time is you're not selling a, a thing, a product, you're selling change and, and being able to help someone actually get to the point that they see the change as a real viable step in that direction. That's where it goes from just being an idea to being real and making yeah. it real sometimes it that's where we we lose and i found this in my own experience where i've had a huge account in the past where i know i lost it because i didn't make it real for them got another opportunity in this account and you're darn right i made sure i brought in every project manager i could bring in every implementation specialist and we made sure we outlined every step of how we would make not just the solution look nice but make it look nice for them and show how yeah. it would actually be done so yeah, Tim, and I think that right there too is where you see a lot of folks they'll they'll have some issue in terms of making the solutions real. And I, I don't know if you experience this in in your world as well, but can maybe you can tell some stories of ex, ex, examples where you've had customers, prospects, where you had a solution, it looked great, but they just were having trouble seeing it become a real tangible tangible solution. And how did you help accomplish that in making it actually real for them and win the business? Well, so I, I probably have more examples of when I didn't do a good job of that, Brian, um, because I think early on my mindset wasn't necessarily um, the right mindset. And I, and I shouldn't say early on. I, I still have lapses today. I think oftentimes when we put ourselves as sales professionals, uh, when we put ourselves kind of at the top of the food chain, things get really, really squirrely. And um, when when you make sure that everything that you say, do, believe, and act on is based on the customer being at the top of the food chain, everything changes. You said something just a couple minutes earlier about you know our job is to really help our customers, and and that's to me that's that's kind of the glue. Or, you know that that's the cement that holds things together. Because if your mindset is about, boy, you know, this is my commission, this is going to help me make quota, this is going to help me get to club, whatever the case may be, once your motives become selfish in, in a selling cycle, and they can be, trust you me, I still today fight that. But when your motives become selfish, um, I think customers can sense that. I think they can hear that. I think they can smell that. I think they can see that. And so to make sure that you've really kind of got that servant attitude and, um, you know, kind of that humility of being able to say, listen, um, I, I think we might have the right solution, but 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 you may not be there yet. Why don't you tell me, you know, where you guys are at? And and I know there's got to be some concerns. Um, I know there has to be some hesitation because there always is. Let, let's get it out on the table now and talk about it. So it's really, you know, kind of that, um, that willingness, that openness um, and assertiveness of being able to kind of go for the no. And, and instead of always assuming that everybody loves you and loves your ideas and loves your solutions and loves your jokes, to always have that chip on your shoulder that, you know what, 
um, there's maybe a five or 10% chance that something's going sideways here. I, I know when I'm in the other role, when I'm dealing with a sales professional, salespeople are just like, you know, the happy, happy, I, I call it a hopium addiction. Everything's just perfect. Everything's fine. Uh, they drive me crazy. I prefer a salesperson that comes to me and says, look, Tim, I think you like this and I think you'd be perfect for this, but I'm, I'm guessing there's still some things going on inside your head that we need to talk about. Put them out on the table. Let's address them now. It's like, great. Let's have that conversation. Harder conversations early are much better than har harder conversations late. Well, and right there, that is probably why it's so difficult to get to the harder conversations because I think we've been conditioned to, and this, this is just across all areas, like we've been conditioned to avoid hard conversations. And I see this when I was having to, to coach a lot of my, my sales team when I was teaching the SDRs, almost, almost having to get them out of their own way. Like you're not going to offend somebody by asking a difficult question. It, they're going to respect you for asking that question because probably other people out there aren't asking the question. So just by the nature of you asking the question, I just had Lee Sales on the show, you're selling different, you're being different, and, and that stands out. And and yeah. I mean, that that says volumes if you're willing to ask the tough questions that nobody else is willing to ask. Yeah, uh, you, you know, and, and I would tell you that for the first, I mean, I've been doing this for four decades. I would tell you that for the first 20 years, the first half of my career, it was really hard. I mean, I wanted to go for the yes. I did not want to go for the no. Do not in introduce fear, uncertainty, or doubt, right? Always assume the best. Always assume the positive. And I have had more success and generated more revenue and had a lot more fun and sleep a lot better at night the last 20 years where I'm like, look, you know, this, this, this feels like a good fit, but I'm not convinced you think it's a good fit. And in, in other words, I almost the roles almost kind of reverse sometimes, right? I'll, I'll, I'll try to get somebody really interested in what we have on the table. Um, and then I kind of take it away. And it's like, I, you know, I don't know, maybe this doesn't make sense for you guys. And, and in essence, I'm trying to get my, my prospect to sell me on the idea. Because here's the deal, Brian. If I'm trying to sell to you and you, uh, and you can't convince me it's a good idea to move forward, right? I'm your biggest cheerleader. If I'm trying to do a deal with you and you can't convince me it's a good idea to move forward, you're not going to be able to convince your mommy, your daddy, or your boss, right? This idea is going nowhere. So I, I like to make sure there's that transfer of enthusiasm, um, that there's that transfer of knowledge, that there's that transfer of excitement, that there's that transfer of belief that, hey, this is the right solution for us. And until you've got that, you know, I think you're playing whack-a-mole. So let's go back to the the DNA, the DNA of that top sales pro. So we've we've listed off a few things. We've talked about uh, avoiding commission breath and being authentic. We've talked about focusing on transferring the enthusiasm of the solution to the the, the buyer and really making them sell you. What else would you say is some of the the top DNA of the uh, top sales pros that are out there? So. Um so when I look at it, here's here's what I would tell you, Brian. Um, and, and again, as you and I were talking before we came on the show, I mean, I've I've done a work with hundreds and hundreds of clients uh, all around the globe, uh, mostly B two B businesses of all sizes, and and more industries than I knew even existed. And after doing this for as long as I've done it, if, if you kind of if you kind of put top performers, you know, on a piece of paper and hold that piece of paper up to the light, there are these common characteristics. There are they are these common traits. Um, and when I look at it, to me, it's a very linear progression of you got to have this, and then if you have this, you got to get this, and if you got this, you got to get this. So you almost build upon it. 
And so um, feel free to interrupt at any time because I'm just going to riff on you here. (laughs) You know, the first thing that top performers all do is they are maniacally focused on who they need to be having conversations with. And, you know, when I work with an organization, they're like, oh, well, we've got a CRM and, you know, we got all these names inside of Salesforce. Well, congratulations. That's really good. But that's not being maniacally focused on who you need to have a conversation with. I I like having a list. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in mathematics to figure out somewhat quickly that um, if your quota is X and your average deal size is Y, how many deals you're going to have to close? Okay, so you got a set number of deals you have to close. Well, how many conversations do you have to have to get to a closed deal? So you start doing some real rough order to math and, you know, you find out very quickly that you need to be having five conversations every day, or maybe you need to be having 15 conversations every day, or maybe you need to be having 25. But I, people that are really good, Brian, are maniacally focused on their list. And, and here's one of the biggest reasons why. If you don't have that list in front of you, if you don't have those targets in front of you, if you're not thinking about them, uh, nobody at 415 on a Friday says, hey, I got an extra 45 minutes. I think I'll make a couple more calls. You just don't do that. So so the, the first thing I always look for is how focused is this person or how focused is this organization on who they need to be having conversations with, right? And I don't care if you're doing new business or you're doing account management. You still need to be having conversations. Can you be successful in sales being reactive, you know, just responding to emails and just, just answering the phone? You bet you can be successful. But can you build a career that you'll be proud of forever? Probably not. You're going to have to have to make some stuff happen. You're going to have to do some outbound. And the way to do outbound is to have this list in front of you. So that's step one is are you maniacally focused on who you need to be having conversations with? Step two then, Brian, is, you know, you got to be able to tell a pretty good sales story. And 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 to me, um, you know, when I'm working with a sales professional or I'm working with a sales leader, they're like, well, what's a sales story? And it, very simply, it's the answer to this question. What exactly do you guys do? I like that. Yep. And can you answer that in 12 or 15 seconds? And can you answer that in such a way that I go, hey, that's kind of interesting. Tell me more. Um, And I've not done any kind of scientific research on this, but I can tell you, Brian, that the vast majority, probably 95% plus of clients that I engage with are unable to tell a clear, concise, and compelling sell story. And, and, And the challenge is most reps, they... They, they think that the sales story is about trying to pitch a product or trying to pitch a solution, and you're not. The whole idea of a sales story is you're trying to get the customer to agree to want to have a conversation with you. So you're not selling a solution. You're selling the idea of having a conversation. I mean, years ago, it was explained to me this way. Nobody walks into the hardware store because they want to buy a drill. They walk into the hardware store because they want a three-eighths inch hole. And, and way too often when we put together our sales story, it's like, oh, you know, I got this, I, I, I got this variable chuck and it's got a lithium battery and it's reversible and it's got different torque settings. Nobody cares, right? Have your eye on the goal. So can you tell a compelling story? Because again, if I'm doing new account development, if I'm doing new business, I got this targeted list, great. So now I'm going to reach out. Brian, you're on my list. So I'm either now going to have to connect with you on social media or connect with you via the phone or connect with you via email or maybe a combination of all of the above, which is I would recommend. And I got to be able to say something that gets you to say, yeah, you know, I think I'd like to have a conversation with this guy. He's, he's saying something that I find to be intriguing or interesting or relevant or insightful. And, and again, I you know, people that are at the best of the best, 
can tell a really good sales story. And, you know, here's, here's the litmus test. The last time you were at a cocktail party with people you didn't know and you met somebody you didn't know and they said, so tell me, what do you do? How did, how, what, how, what did you say? And did you say something that made the other person go like, wow, that's really fascinating? Or did they roll their eyes and say, you know, I, I'm going to go get another drink? So, um, and, and I'm, I'm not telling you this is an easy thing to do. It, it's a hard thing to do. But if you want to be the best of the best, you got to have a great sales story. So step one, I got this target list. Brian, you're on my list. Step two, I got this sales story. And the thing is, it's not just a sales story. I'll riff just a minute longer. Yep. I got to be able to create multiple sales stories because if I reach out to you, Brian, and send you an email and I and I use a certain sales story and then a week later I call and leave you a voicemail and I leave pretty much the exact same sales story, I, I'm beating a dead horse, right? I, I've got to try multiple facets of my solution and my offering to get you interested. Um, so I've got to know as a sales professional how to create the sales story. And, and, and a lot of salespeople don't want to do that. They wait for the marketing group to put together a sales story. <laughs> And, and here's what I'm going to tell you. If you wait for the fine folks in marketing to do it, they're going to try to make their sales story um, apply to everyone. They're going to try to be all things to all people. And when you try to be all things to all people, you end up being nothing to everyone. So I've got my sales story changes, Brian, if I'm talking to a VP of sales. It's going to change if I'm talking to a business owner. It's going to change if I'm talking to the person in charge of sales enablement. It's going to change if I'm talking to a CRO, right? I, it, I still do what I do. But I have to change my accent. I've got to change my focus. I have to speak their language. So again, step one, are you maniacally focused on your list? Step two, can you tell a really good, compelling sales story? Step three um, that I believe all top performers possess, Brian, is they understand the art and science of follow-up. Because here's the deal. You may have a really good list and you may have a really great sales story. But nobody's going to call you back. <laughs> People are busy. People have other things going on. Y y you know, the best time to try to sell to somebody is before they start looking. Right. Once they start looking, they have fired off the flares, letting you and all your competitors know I'm shopping. What, what does if Craig you, Elias call that? The moment of dissatisfaction? I think I've heard that before. Yep. Yeah. And I want to be upstream of that. I want to create that need. And and so when I when I. You're on my list, Brian. I reach out to you with a sales story and you're, you're like, you know what? Yeah, that sounds kind of interesting, but I got, I got 10 other things we're really focused on right now. Well, through the art and science of follow-up, I'm going to keep floating that idea. And, and, and follow-up is not, hey, Brian, it's Tim. I'm checking in with you. Or, hey, Brian, it's Tim. I wanted to touch base because – Bringing this to the top to of your email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, floating it to the top of the inbox. Uh Good follow-up is, um, is insightful. It's engaging. It's valuable. Uh, in my world, it's often fun. I, I always tell people that if you're not having fun in your follow-up, neither is the person receiving the follow-up. But I, I want to do follow-up in such a way that uh, my target is like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, I, I don't know if I want to do business with him, but I think I'd like to have a 10-minute conversation with him because this is kind of unique. This is kind of different. This is kind of fun. So, really <laughs> so I, I'm laughing. I don't mean to interrupt, Tim. I'm laughing because... So yesterday, I had a prospect that I had spoken to back in January, and it was the beginning of their fiscal year, and uh, he was tasked with cutting his budget by $1 million. Did, now, have, if you've ever watched Austin Powers, you, you know Dr. Evil, he, he goes, $1 million. So I, in my email to him, I said, hey, prospect, you know, hope your mission on finding the budget for, and then I sent a GIF 
of Dr. Evil saying $1 million went well. And he called me within five minutes of me sending the email laughing. He's like, oh my God. He's like, he's like, as soon as I got that email the first time about I needing to do that, I heard that in my voice. And he goes, you putting that just, it made it real. So yes, stand out, but just don't be, don't, don't be like everybody else, I guess. Yes. Sorry. Continue. No, no. And, and it's okay. You know, cause sometimes uh, sales professionals are very hesitant. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I can't do that. I can't be that edgy. I don't want, I, I can't have that kind of fun, um, you know, because I don't want to, um, I don't want to upset the, the, the prospect or, or I don't want to get sideways. And I'm like, look, you know, if you've been trying to warm this campaign now over the course of four to six weeks and you've done multiple touches and they're dead to you, you have absolutely nothing to lose. I mean, one of the things I did years ago, Brian, I actually hired a voiceover actor to put together a voicemail message as Darth Vader telling the client that they need to call me back. That's incredible. And it's got, it's got the Star Wars theme music in the background. And people love it because it's like, what the hell is this all about? So anyway, follow-up and knowing how to follow-up, you know, you know, understanding that follow-up has different messages you need to be delivering, understanding that follow-up has a different cadence, uh, understanding that follow-up needs to embrace multiple mediums, and that's just a tip I'll leave your, your audience right now is that if you if your mediums are pretty much phone and email, good luck because your kids are going to get skinny real quick, right? People are bombarded with phone and email. Am I saying don't use phone and email? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that there are other mediums out there that most salespeople are completely ignoring that will get you noticed, that will get you recognized, and will get a response. What what does that look like? Let me give you a quick tip. If I'm working an opportunity and you've gone dark on me, and I'm trying to send you emails, and I'm trying to send you voicemails, and I'm trying to send you messages via LinkedIn, and you continue to blow me off, I will spend $10.25 and send you a piece of certified mail. Why? Because certified mail gets open and gets read. And here's what happens is, Brian, you get that piece of certified mail from me, and you don't know it's from me. You just know you're getting a piece of certified mail. So you're thinking, who's suing me, right? You open it up, and there's a message for me that's like, Brian, man, dude, what's going on? We had multiple conversations. We went through a complete analysis. We went through all this discovery, put together this proposal, and I haven't heard anything from you in six weeks. I mean, tell me what's going on. And what happens is that the vast majority of prospects that get that from me feel indebted, right? They're like, well, every other salesperson is just leaving a voicemail or sending an email. This Wackle guy kind of went up and above, spent a little bit of money, tried to get my attention using this piece of certified mail. You know what? We we owe the guy a phone call. We owe the guy an email telling him you're dead to me or telling him something terrific has come up and we can't we can't move forward. Whatever the case may be, there's this sense of guilt that, oh my God, you know, we've really made this guy walk out to the end of the plank. Will somebody talk him off the plank? So anyway, enough about follow-up. So step one, got to be maniacal about your list. Who are you trying to have conversations with? Step number two, man, you got to be able to tell a really good sales story. You know, what exactly is it that you guys do and why should I care? Step number three, you have to realize that nobody's going to respond if you think you're going to be a one and done kind of guy. So you're going to have to have some sort of follow up sequencing that uses multiple messages, multiple mediums and a really good cadence to warm people up to having the idea. Step four, then, Brian, is what we talked about last time. Eventually, if you're really good at your follow up, eventually a certain portion of that audience is going to be like, all right, man, I'll give you 10 minutes or all right, man, I'll give you 20 minutes. 
when you get that first meeting, if you can't win the first meeting, <laughs> there won't be a second one. Nope. And the way you win the first meeting is you probe, you don't pitch. And you and I, you and I went in depth on this last time. If you're not asking high impact, thought provoking questions, get after it. Because if you're focused on need, budget, time frame, fit, and decision making process, get in line. Because there's thousands of other salespeople doing that same bant crap, right? And those kinds of questions actually have zero value to my prospect. When I ask my prospect how much money they've got budgeted, why would they tell me there's no value in answering that question? When I ask how fast you're looking to move forward, there's no value in answering that question. So pride yourself on the ability that to, to ask questions that gets the prospect to go, wow, you know, that's, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked us that before. Um, enough said about that. So I got a great list. I've got a really good sales story. I know how to follow up. I'm winning the first meeting because I'm doing a really good job of asking the right kinds of questions. Then kind of the fifth brick, the fifth piece of the DNA that needs to fall, Brian, is um, you need to be able to present your ideas and present your proposal um, in a very clear, concise, and compelling fashion. Um, so I do a lot of work on um, sales presentation coaching. And if you show up and you've got a map of the U.S. with all these little red dots on it, I'm going to slap you across the room because nobody, and I do mean nobody, has ever done business with anybody because of the number of red dots you got on that stupid map. Okay, so let's just take the map out of the deck. If your deck talks all about you and your solution, you've got a bad deck. Your deck, it should be designed to talk all about them and their needs and where they're trying to get to. So quit making yourself the hero of the story. Make them the hero of the story. Does that mean every deck needs to be unique and different? Yeah, sorry, it does. But that's why top performers are top performers because they're willing to do the stuff nobody else is willing to do. Is it going to take a little more time, energy, and effort? Yep, but you'll laugh all the way to the bank. Okay, so just get your head around it. And then last but not least, right? So when I look at top performers, Brian, they're maniacal about the list. They got a great sales story. They understand the art and science of follow-up. They know how to win the first meeting because they're really curious. They ask great questions. Eventually, they're going to present their ideas or present their proposal, and it's going to be written in the client's not language, not their language. And around all of that, kind of the, the ocean that all those ideas float in is uh, the ability to build relationships. And too many salespeople today uh, I shouldn't say too many. A lot of salespeople today do well because they're good bullshitters or, <laughs> so or uh, they tell a good story or they can talk sports. And I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying, do you really understand what it takes to build a relationship? Because building a relationship with your client shouldn't be too different than building a relationship with a partner or a spouse because at, at the root, we're people. Right. So if you're building relationships because you're the salesperson and they're the client, that's going to have a different flavor to it versus I'm going to build a relationship because I'm a person and you're a person and I want to get to know you as a person. I want you to get to know me as a person. That's a completely different relationship than, hey, you're my customer and I'm going to kind of suck up um, because I want you to like me. So um, and, and, and again, there's there's lots of resources out there on how to build better relationships. Um, Jerry Acuff's got a great book called The Relationship Edge in Business that I highly recommend. Because um, Jerry kind of takes the complexity of relationships. And it's like, no, it's really just three things. And and when you read it, you're like, yeah, that's what I did when I met my spouse. That's what I did when I met my best friend. That's what I did when I met my best clients. It's a process um, that we go through because, like I said, at the end of the day, people are people. 
how often, I mean, honestly, it really just comes to, down to us just overthinking things, overcomplicating things, trying to reinvent the wheel instead of just focusing on the basics. And I think if we just become the masters of the basics and then, to your point, do the extra effort, go above and beyond, because people aren't really going above and beyond, that shows that you care. And and right now, I think that's right there is where, you know what, right there, that's also the nice little bow on top, show you care. Because yeah. if you show you care in a world where so many people are just apathetic and just floating around, then you, you, you will instantly stand out as somebody who not just has their best interests at heart, but who can build... To your point, Tim, that authentic relationship. So, unfortunately, hey, we're already hard-pressed for time, but, Tim, this has been a great conversation, and obviously, we want people to be able to continue the conversation. So, number one, we'll point them back to your episode from last time, but number two, Tim, where can folks go ahead, follow you, and can keep up uh, up to date with all that's happening in your world? You know what? Uh, step one would be hit me up on LinkedIn, because I try to publish on LinkedIn every week, so, um, I, I, you know, I try to feed the herd. And so uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'd love to have you. I'd be an honor to have you as part of my network. If you're if you're more interested in that, the LinkedIn profile will point you to the website. Um, all sorts of resources out there. There's there's free resources. There's resources you can pay for uh, audio products, video products, whatever the case may be. Um, or if you really want to make my day and have a lot of fun, just pick up the doggone phone and call me. You know, uh, if I'm here, I'll answer. If I'm not here. Uh, I'll get back to you within a couple hours or else something's gone terribly wrong and we'll have a conversation about what's going on and, and whether or not I might be able to help you and your team create more success. There you go, folks. Well, there's your call to action, and we'll make it easy for you. All you have to do is click the artwork in your podcast catcher. It'll bring you to today's episode over at briannicholshow.com, where you can find all of Tim's links, plus the entire transcript of today's episode, plus all 450-plus other episodes, including some awesome sales conversations, as I mentioned, with Tim Wackel, Victor Antonio, Craig Elias, Art Subcheck. The list goes on and on. Some of the best and the brightest. So if you're interested, please head over to briannicholshow.com. Give us a, a subscribe there. And also, if your folks are interested, head over to briannicholshow.com and sign up for our morning sales huddle twice a week. Yours truly sending you over some sales tips that I use to help lead my team to going from zero, zero, like literally nobody there to all of a sudden being a team and accounting for 43% of the revenue in three years. How about that? So you want to learn how we did that? Head over to briannicholshow.com and sign up for our morning sales huddle. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here for Tim Wackel. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. This is renegade statesman Eric Brakey, host of Free America Now, a podcast for people ready to strike down tyranny. As a former state legislator who knows how the political machine works, I lead every episode with a free-range discussion alongside thinkers, activists, and policymakers. People like Tom Woods, Hannah Cox, and WWE superstar and Knox County Mayor Glenn Kane Jacobs on just how to free America now. New episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, and you can find Free America Now on your favorite podcasting app. So be sure to subscribe, unless you're a communist. 
in which case I understand why you wouldn't really like the show. Furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed, so let's free America now.